Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of One Step Beyond. This is a podcast about transformation through leadership. On our show, we have conversations with people who are creating change in business, in their community, and in their lives by choosing to lead. This is about daring to overcome barriers, push past limitations, and reshape our present and our future. Today, we're talking about rethinking the music industry. Well, this is a subject that is near and dear to my heart and something I like, love, love to be in discussions about. The music industry at its most basic form is someone deciding to pick up an instrument and write something because they want to express themselves. But a whole industry is built up around it, and that industry has like cool parts and terrible parts. So it's kind of neat to be able to see it evolve And today we're talking with some people who are at the forefront of helping that change happen. So today we've got a panel discussion and we've got Rich Rossi, who is the label manager at Deathwish, and he's worked for the label for over 15 years. I've got a lot of history with Deathwish, founded by one of my closest friends, and I just have huge respect for him. So the next is Jay Reason. He is an independent, interactive project manager and producer. He's produced over 100 projects for Sony Music's largest artists, including Michael Jackson, Billy Joel, Christina Aguilera, Kelly Clarkson, and Miles Davis. He also recently founded Static Era Records, which is wild. He created a brick-and-mortar shop to sell records, and that's just such a cool thing to be doing in this time. And the final uh, guest is Alex Lichtenauer. Alex is a queer, non-binary label owner, acupuncturist, and musician based in Philadelphia. They founded Get Better Records in 2009 and have been using the label to spotlight marginalized voices within the punk and indie music scene. As a musician themselves, Alex strives to create a label atmosphere that's based on mutual respect, transparency, and honesty. Um, I, I will just say that this group of people is just such a pleasure to interact with, and you're going to hear this on this podcast. Really insightful, kind, very, very respectful, and we really hit into some difficult conversations. So before we get into it, I want to thank our sponsors, SE Electronics. And if you haven't yet, then please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. So let's get to the episode. I'm your host, Aram Arslanian, and this is One Step Beyond. All right, everyone, welcome to the episode. So as I mentioned in the intro today, we are talking about rethinking the music industry, and we've got a great panel of people here. Uh, Everyone, welcome. Hey, Ron. Hey, how's it going? Hey, thanks for having us. All right. So uh, as we mentioned in the intro, we have uh, people who are really involved more on the independent side of the music industry, which of course is where I come from. It's a passion of mine, but we're not just going to talk about the independent music industry. We're going to talk about the industry in general and what we see. And, you know, there's people here who have worked at all sorts of different angles in the music industry. And I just love the idea that, listen, music existed before there was an industry around it. And industry has really grown up around it. And there's good things about that and there's bad things about that. So we're going to crack into that. So as a starting place, everyone... Here's the big question, and we'll go from there. And, you know, this sounds kind of like philosophical, but I, I do want your take. 
music industry. What does that even mean? So I want to throw it out. What does the music industry mean to all of you? I think I'll it just depends. Okay. Oh, go ahead, Rich. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> no, it's fine. Uh, it, uh, and, and we've all worked in uh, music. I'm doing quotations, if you can't see that, <laughs> um, uh, for quite a while. And I feel that, uh, especially in like the last five years, I feel like it's moving in the craziest directions uh, now than it ever has. We've uh, we've gone, th you know, just in my personal time working in music, um, I started out with CDs and then being the big platform, moving to iTunes, uh, vinyl coming back, streaming starting, vinyl coming back again. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's it's not really just uh, releasing albums and putting them through distribution and getting them in stores and getting people to buy them anymore. It's it's a lot more. I mean, we all have to be an expert in something that we weren't before. And um, yeah, I think I think I'm sure everyone feels that way, where we're not doing the original thing we thought we were doing when we started. So, yeah. <laughs> awesome, uh, Alex. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with Rich. And also, like, even, like, throughout the pandemic, the industry has just changed, like, dr like you know, drastically with, like, no touring. Like, that was, like, the, you know, the biggest thing, like, at least for us, like, a smaller independent label, like, you know, who just switched to a, a you know, a different distributor with, like, you know, whatever. But, you know, so most of our records before being sold, you know, by our bands on the road, and now, like, not having, like, that whole component really changed how we had to think about marketing and like releasing records and like what to release, what not to release, what to hold back on. Um, and yeah, like Rich said, just like changing with everything. Like, I mean, I, when I started the label, it was CDs. Um, but then like, you know, you know, iTunes and all that had already existed when I started. So that was like, but now it's like getting involved with like TikTok and like all these weird platforms that like, <laughs> I don't know anything. I didn't know anything about like six months ago. Um, just like, you know, adapting and evolving. Mm, yeah, I, I like that, that adapting, evolving, because that's like as what Rich was saying and then to what you're saying, that's like a through line there. Um, now, Jay, I'm real interested in your take because you've done something that like so many people would be like, oh my gosh, like people just don't do that anymore. You've opened up a physical location of a record store. That is yeah. so, <laughs> I mean, I love it. I'm super psyched and really proud of you. But man, tell us, like, what is the indus music industry to you? I mean, I think for me, uh, just definitely echoing like what Rich and Alex were saying, um, similar to Rich, I had a long path, started with CDs were the main thing, vinyl, uh, you know, the whole path, then went and worked at a major label for a little while, understanding that whole world is totally different from the world that we come into. Um, so again, I think all of those different layers are so different. So I, the day you ask me, I would give you a different answer on this because today I would tell you one thing, the next day I'll tell you something different. But to answer your question, to talk about a physical store, I think for me um, in the pandemic and adapting, the music industry in my local area needed a record store. Um, there was no shows, there was no outlet. Um, we're fortunate where I'm from in Connecticut that we've always had a really striving independency, not just hardcore, but be it hip hop, uh, indie rock, any kind of music. We've always been really lucky. Um, without shows, man, there was no, there was nothing anymore. So I really felt the need to kind of create a space. And uh, I like to call my place the, it's like having a show, but you don't play. So you just come hang out. There's merch sometimes, you know, you see all the same people. And we've been really fortunate that it's taken off, man. 
Yeah. One of the interesting things I've seen, you've done literally like some events. You've had like pop-ups and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, again, I think it's just, we've been treating the store more like say a venue than a retail outlet. Right. So it's like, okay, triple B is doing a pop-up or we had like, um, you know, Vinny stigma from AF came and did a podcast. We've done little events around that where again, obviously keeping in that we can't have a ton of people there and, you know, social distancing and all that stuff, but trying to treat it more as an event and destination versus like, Hey, come buy this record or come buy this thing. It's more like, yo, come hang out, come see your friends, maybe pick something up. Maybe you don't, but you're getting that sense of community, which I, again, I think going back to the music industry thing, that was a big part of the industry for me was seeing, you know, you on tour and talking about records and labels. And, and you know, so again, it's it just such a varied thing, dude. I mean, depending on the day you asked me, I would again, change my answer every time. Yeah. Okay. So um, I'm going to start hitting hard here because this is like something I'm real interested in. We're all from you know, the punk hardcore community, kind of like, out on the fringes, which I guess has become quite a bit less fringe uh, over the years. But there's a lot of sense of like, well, we're a certain way that's different than the mainstream. However, all three of you run like actual businesses. And, you know, Alex, you'd said earlier, like marketing, right? And it's like, could you imagine when you first got into punk or, or whatever, like subculture that you'd be like thinking about like marketing? <laughs> These seems almost like bad, bad ideas. But really, in reality, based on the businesses you run today, how di- like really what's the difference between running a small business and a big business in the music industry like what's the big difference there is there one are they are they kind of essentially the same things but with different focuses and outcomes like what is it yeah it's funny i was talking to um someone yesterday about how like you know like we're not 16 anymore we're like you know fuck cap like obviously like fuck capitalism but like we have to think about money like you know like you know, supporting, just like supporting yourself, you know, like I'm not living at my parents' house, you know, like in high school or middle school anymore. When I was having these ideas of like, you know, I just want to make music to like make music and like fuck everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and now like, yeah, like you have to think about money. Like, you know, bands, you know, want you to put money behind them. They want you to like, you know, uh, invest in them. And, you know, or they maybe just like won't work with you. Um, And I think the difference between maybe like a big business and a small business is like um, the love and care that goes into it. Like, you know, like a big business, business, like what's going to sell, what's going to be popular. And that's it. Whereas for us, it's it's a little different. It's like, yeah, like we want to sell the records. We want them to do well, but also like, you know these are the people like I care about and I love, like I want to invest in my friends and like people that in my community, not just like, you know, a stranger who I think maybe will sell like a bunch of records, which not that we haven't done that, but um, we just like think about it on a more personal level as well than just business. Yeah. That's a really important uh, distinction. And I also love like that shift, like, man, screw the system, like fuck capitalism. And then you're like, oh yeah, but like I am now a grown up and I have to like exist within the system. So I love, I love that distinction. Uh, you know, uh, Richard J, what are your thoughts? Can I, uh, just to say like what Alex was saying too, it's like, I think later on in life, I mean, I've been doing this for probably just as long as most of you guys too, is just like aligning yourself with people who have the same vision and outcome as you do and same expectations. Right. So, you know, like Alex said, when you're investing into your either your friends or, you know, the band just believing that they have the same outcome, I think is so important nowadays versus where going out and just getting something you think is going to be huge, or I'm going to sign this band because everybody else is signing them really just aligning yourself with the right 
people and making sure expectations are the same. And, you know, just that whole thing, I think, is really, to Alex's point, a really good viewpoint. Yeah, I, I want to dig on that a little one specifically to you, Jay. And, and uh, Rich, I know you're going to have some stuff to add in here. Um, but Jay, previous to, to your record store, you're also involved in like developing young artists. Yeah, so I, I work on a ton of different stuff behind the scenes. You know, like mm-hmm. uh, one of my big clients I can talk about is Brian McKnight. I've been working with Brian McKnight for the probably past, I don't know, close to six or seven years, you know. But then on the flip of that, I work with, yeah, really young developing artists who are uh not again not necessarily in our world because i feel like in the indie world mm-hmm. it's a little bit easier to kind of break in these are like you know pop type of things where the shots are huge you know and uh, the budgets reflect those kinds of things mm-hmm. um but uh i'm sorry man i lost track of the original well, question yeah like what i'm interested here it's because I, I would say like the body of work that you've done in the, in the underground scene is totally reflective of what alex was saying it's like you know, you've got to strike that balance of investing oh, in bands, right. but you also want to invest. It, it, they're also your friends and your people. But when we're talking about, because you've done like some real interesting artist development. And when I learned about it, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. But it, like, it's unexpected. Is it the same thing? Are you looking for people that you connect to on that same like Definitely. Like I, I can say this, man. And, and I think um, you'll know this just because you know some of the people that I worked with really early on. It's so awesome to me to see, say, somebody like Greg Thomas, who runs Silver Bullet. He plays an end. Um, awesome producer, amazing musician. You know, I picked him up on one of his first bands. Um, tons of people like that who I really helped and believed in and just maybe wasn't on that band that they were in. But I've always really just gravitated towards the vibe of somebody making sure that we connect. Um, and again, dude, making sure we have the same expectations, right? Because I used to think it was like, oh, I want to be on the label that all these guys are on you know, cause everybody's on there, but that wasn't the same path I had and they didn't have the same expectations I had. So it only le- led me to be disappointed when my record didn't do X, Y, and Z, right? Had I gone with a label that maybe wasn't the cool one, but they would have been able to have that path for me, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, so I think a lot of like what you're saying, man, with artist development and stuff, it's why I started a label now. I really miss that whole aspect of it again. And I mm-hmm. love, um, you know, again, finding people I believe in and investing money in that versus just kind of throwing stuff at a wall and hoping something sticks. Yeah, definitely. Um, so Rich, I want to take this over to you, like that difference between the, like a major and a, and a more independent, but very specifically when we're talking about like choosing who we pick, Death Wish has been one of those really interesting labels that has really evolved your, like who you are as a label. And like the early days, it was like, you know, straight up kind of more hardcore. And now I believe you have just this roster of really like more kind of like artistic, very, very creative stuff. It's got a good, quite broad, but less to the traditional hardcore. And it's been such a clear evolution. So I'd love to hear about that as well. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, as far as uh, us bringing on artists and developing them, um, it's it's tough to, it's tough because we don't, we have this like legacy and we have this um, almost um, just like awesome catalog of awesome artists. So some aspects of when we bring on bands is that people expect us to be bringing (laughs) on great bands. Like they just like, why wouldn't they bring on a great band? It's doesn't make any sense. Why would they? So it's tough to almost, I don't want to say live up to that expectation every time, but I think we all are extremely, um, um, I don't know. We're, we're we're our own critics at the end of the day of 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 the bands that we bring on. Um so that can be difficult, but also at the same time we have this awesome fan base of people that love the label and almost trust us to bring in the right bands and work with the right bands and 
it's not only just bring bands onto the label, it's the labels that we work with. It's the bands on those labels that we work with. I mean, Aram, we've worked directly with you and your bands in the past. Um, you know, like, um, it's, it's really like a whole community and, um, uh, just to kind of piggyback on what Alex and Jay have Jay said, like, um, it's nice to be able to work inside the community. Uh, there's more often than not, we, uh, are more successful when we work with someone within the community. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of, and I, it, I'm, I'm almost like, we're a little scared to like go outside <laughs> that bubble, you know, like you're, you're like, uh, does this person listen to black flag or not? Like, uh, I, I, you just got, you know, like, I, I don't know. Um, if they don't, we got problems, you know? So like, uh, it's tough to, um, bring in, um, and work with people outside sometimes, but yeah, I mean, developing artists is it, it's really fun at the end of the day, bringing a band in from, a Bandcamp demo, and then in six months they have ten thousand followers on Instagram. Like, that's awesome. That's a really good feeling, you know. I gotta say, as a fan um, of De- sorry, Ram, as a fan of Deathwish, watching them do that with so many bands has been inspiring too. I mean, I've brought, I've worked with Rich on a on a project too, where, um, you know, just felt that Deathwish and their services fit that client perfectly. Um, and again, we stayed with the community in that one, and it was successful. And I really love uh watching what Jake and Trey and everybody over there have done over the years. I mean, it's, it's like, again, inspiring when we started the label in the store, um, looking mm. up at those guys and what they're doing. Yeah, it's, I mean, huge shout out to Deathwish. I, I believe in the label and the people there massively. And, and also like um, everyone on this podcast. I mean, that's the reason why all of you are here is because like the ethical core and the stuff that I've seen you do has just been really near my heart and super impressive. All right, let's get a little deeper though. When we're talking about rethinking, what are things about the music industry? And it can be business, it can be social, it can be political. What still needs to be rethought? You know, in a lot of ways, we're still working with the machinery of, a, of something that was built the way society and business worked, you know, like 50 years ago. And we've seen some changes and some shifts like digital, vinyl, this and that. But what still needs to be rethunk? Um, on, on like a business aspect, I think a big thing that needs to be changed is like, you know, the Spotify payouts, mm. a lot of streaming numbers, you know, just like the amount of money, like, you know, less than one cent per stream on Spotify is just absurd. When you think about how much control they have over the market with like their playlisting and like, you know, that's like the streaming platform, like even bigger than like Apple Music and iTunes is like Spotify. So everyone's forced to use it, but no one, but they're the ones who make the money off of it. You know, like band, like a band, like on our label, like we'll get noticed if they land on like a big Spotify playlist, but like that doesn't really mean anything if like, you know, touring doesn't exist, you know, and all the things that like help, help a band, um, you know, be successful. Um, so I think that's a huge thing that needs to change is, you know, money transparency and, um, payouts. Yeah. And Alex, I'd like to stick with you and go a little deeper on this one. Um, and I don't know if you'll know these things, but just to, to speak to it as a sidebar. So my band put out a record last year and it's the first time I've put out a record in many, many years. And so like a lot has changed since then. And, you know, the streaming numbers were really great. And I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> like, wow, that's so cool. 
And then I saw like what that converted to in dollars. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> I could, I could really like, I could do almost anything at all for like an hour <laughs> and make more money than that. And you know, there's this fun thing. It's like, it's not about the money and I'm just glad that there's a record well, and, out there, but like, sorry, I was so blown away by yeah. how little there is. So imagine working on some legacy clients that I can't name that come out of the major label system that are used to like this whole silver plater thing. They come and work with a guy, they hire a guy like me, streams look okay, and then they see that. So I definitely understand where you guys are coming from. And sometimes I think it's harder for them to understand that versus I think uh, people in our generation, since we've gone through so many formats and all this thing, we kind of just like, all right, eventually something will work. Um, it's a challenge with the more legacy artists, especially if they've been in the major label system for a really long time. Totally. I mean, I was dying when I saw it. Like, I just couldn't, <laughs> couldn't believe it, but of course could totally believe it. All right, Alex. So we're talking about this transparency. Like, you know, like I think we can throw around a word like monopoly. Like there's essentially a, a monopoly here. Like yeah. you've got to be on Spotify. So from your perspective, and I'm, I'm not saying that you have the answer, but from your perspective, how do we bring along that kind of change? Like if I'm Spotify, I'd be like, I'm going to keep this going as long as I'm able. How do we create that kind of change? Um, well, I'm actually part of uh, the Musicians Union. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it before. It's it's just started maybe like six months ago. Uh, and there's a whole campaign about like Spotify. And they're working on um, raising the streaming numbers up to one cent per stream. Um, and so far, all efforts have been ignored by Spotify. Um, but I think like that's one start is like, I think they had like 100,000 like artist signatures um, on like their petition and like pretty, pretty sure like Spotify didn't even blink at it. Um, mm -hmm. so I think that's one way to start, but like, yeah, I, I honestly, yeah, I don't really know. I think, you know, a union is great, but like, it only goes so far if like, yeah, it's a monopoly and you have to be on Spotify. Like, you know, most artists don't have control over where their music is streaming. So like if a major label artist like isn't happy with like the payouts, you know, a major label is not going to just take them off Spotify because they don't like it. So it's really hard. And it, you know, starts with the people who have the less, you know, the least amount of power, you know, people like me and other artists like me and labels like me who like don't have the streaming numbers like major labels do. So like, it's, it's hard to make an impact. Mm. Yeah. And this is such a, it's such a wild thing. Cause it's like, even people like, wasn't it like Taylor Swift who said like, hey, I'm not going to put my stuff up on there because of how you guys treat artists, but then eventually like brought it back around and like just essentially, I, I don't want to misrepresent the story, but that was a thing, right? Like basically initially it was like, I don't like how you're treating other artists, so I'm going to use my platform to stand against that, but then has gone back on that. Can anyone speak to that? Well, uh, just on just to step back a little bit too, and to speak on Spotify and streaming in general, um, fundamentally a streaming service doesn't work. So let's get that straight. Um, uh, Spotify has 155 million subscribers right now, and I think they just posted their quarterly earnings, and they lost money. Um, all the other major ones, Amazon, Apple, Google, this isn't the primary way that they make money. This is a this is an add-on. They they need music for credibility to, for you, for their users. So if you just step back there and just say like, uh, streaming as a business doesn't work, how do you expect musicians to make money after that? 
So mm. it, it's, uh, it's, it's a tough thing to um, ask, but like at the end of the day, people need to pay more money if they want artists to make more money. Their businesses don't work. And unfortunately, $9.99 a month to listen to every song in the world isn't enough money to sustain the music industry. So artists are using these streaming services and labels as a platform to get people to do something else eventually once they like the song. You know, buy a, buy a t-shirt, go see the tour, uh, buy the vinyl copy of the record, do anything more than what you're doing. So um, that's a tough like kind of pill to swallow that the streaming kind of world just doesn't really work as a business on its own. Um, take away all the other money that Apple, Amazon, Google make, and they can't survive off a streaming service, <laughs> you know? So um, I think we really have to step back there and, 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 and see like um, what, what would it take for a sustainable streaming service to be able to pay artists what they deserve. Um, I don't have the answer to that. I wish I did. Yeah, well, I that's, think... an, that's an interesting thing. I, I, I didn't know what you just brought up. I had no idea that it's kind of like a failed, it's a failed business model, but it's not a business model that any business is actually really relying on. It's like, as you said, like an add-on. Um, so how can you expect not how can you expect? Why would they even think about being fair to artists when they're not making money off of it? So that's exactly like a really, that's a better way to put it. Yeah, that's a really compelling way to look at it. Sorry, Alex, was there something you were going to say? Yeah, no, like that's that's yeah, super valid, Rich. That that's totally like we do need to step back and look at that. And also, what's interesting to me is like, you know, Bandcamp charges. I don't, I don't think they charge anything a month for a listener. Um, you can set a minimum of how many times someone streams an album before they have to buy it. Like you can set it to like three, six, unlimited, whatever. But at the end of the day, like you could stream a track a million times on Bandcamp and no one sees anything from that. Whereas, so like, but people don't ever talk about that either. Um, which I just think is interesting. You know, Spotify, like you see like, oh, 12 million streams, but I got like, you know, a hundred dollars. But like with Bandcamp, who I think are great in ways and then could change in a lot of ways, pay nothing for streaming unless the label or artist makes it so that the, they have to buy it. But then they might just go to Spotify afterwards and just stream it because they don't want to pay the six, twelve, eight dollars, whatever it's going to be. I think too, um, but you just kind of, oh, yeah. go ahead. No, no, you go, go, go. I was just going to, to piggyback kind of off what Rich and Alex were saying. I think, being on the other side of this as a label, it's also Spotify has done a, a really good job of marketing themselves that gives us as a label a challenge because bands now expect to be on these extravagant playlists and they don't have like, you know, the socials or these things to back it up, but they saw, you know, somebody else and who in their mind is comparable, which I think that that also, you know, kind of makes it a challenge for us. Um, the other thing too, just talking about Spotify while we're on it is, what I've been trying to do is just broadening that kind of road. Like Rich said, is you hope they come in. And then again, if it's, if you're lucky to become a fan of a band that's on death, which there's a whole community there where you can dig in, you find more stuff, more bands. So I try to view Spotify as just that it's like su super supplemental in my mind, all secondary. Um, obviously I love to show my distributor that we have stuff that streams very well. Right. Cause that's at the end of the day, we want to make those people happy. Um, but to your guys's point, it's like, it's a super challenge with Spotify. Cause again, I think they've done such a good job of marketing themselves as like the premier 
destination. You're on this super playlist. X, X, you know, it's X amount of players. They've, they've really, they've YouTubed the music thing. So you can see the game, you know, like the gamification of the numbers and stuff, which I think is, uh, for, for me as a label, it's a challenge because sometimes bands want things that I just have to tell them, look, man, you're just not at that level. I'm sorry that you see yourself there. But, uh, you know, just because it says fans also listen to and you're listed there, man, it's not the same thing. Totally. All right. So to each of you specifically and whoever, in whatever order you want to go, thinking about the record, the music industry and things that you've seen in it that you don't like. Or things that you're like, no, you know, I want to create, uh, I want to create something different. I want to cre- give people options. Uh, how's that impacted your own business? So if you think about how you've built your own business, how has that been in a reaction to things you'd like to see different in the music industry? Um, I think, I don't, I don't want to talk down on anyone, but like, I do think that like sometimes releases aren't given their fair share and um there's a lot of great releases out there that people just never discover there's a ton of great music out there that's just and it's 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 no it's not anyone's fault it's because this whole landscape is so difficult to navigate and a band just trying to put up their record on like they don't know they don't know that like just because you put your record on Bandcamp, it's not enough. It's just like not enough. Like there needs to be more all the time. And um, I wish, and it, you know, going back to Death Wish on that, on that, that's why we offer a lot of services outside of just the label side of things that we try to um, give releases their proper due. Um, sometimes it doesn't make sense for us to work with a band or whatever whatever reason but it doesn't mean that it can't be presented in the best way possible so i think we all um are are pretty anxious sometimes when there's something new to get it out there as quickly as possible but the thought behind it isn't really there um and sometimes it's just you're a new band you don't know what you're doing and um there's no label you're just doing things on your own but um like music is super important and it's super cool and everything should be treated like it's the best record ever, ever released. Um, and, uh, should be in front of, uh, many, as many people as possible. Um, so I, I think that, um, I would just love to see more structure brought, even if it's just like your, 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 your first demo or whatever, (laughs) just that, like that checklist of like, I need to do this, 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 and this just to get it out there and, so everyone can enjoy it. Because, um, you know, I, I gotta, you, I, you've seen something on Bandcamp and you're like, well, I don't really listen to music on Bandcamp. I listen to music on Apple Music or Spotify. Like, it's not there. I want to listen to it there. And you kind of just got to, like, let the fans listen to it however they want uh, to. to uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, and then you, then you hear about these exclusive titles, like going through services or like it's only on YouTube or like whatever. It's like, mm-hmm. let people listen to music how they want. <laughs> Yeah, I so I got to talk about that, and just from a funny point of view, like, I you know I, when I was younger, I used to run a, a record label, and how we did it then, and I don't want to be like, well, back in my day, but like, <laughs> like literally back in my day, it was like just oh yeah, I can put out a record, you know, and there wasn't a ton of planning around it, and it was fine, and it was fine, it ser- served the purpose, but the music world is exponentially more complex now, like totally mind-numbingly complex, and having worked with um, the, this service that Death Wish uh, does for the change record, 
Like it was so thoughtful and so planned out. And this is, by the way, not a Death Wish commercial, but I love you guys. Um, it was like, I didn't even think to think about this kind of thinking. It was like, I, I could never have navigated that without, uh, without that. So I, I really like that. And I do see that in Death Wish. Alex, how about you? How have you structured your business as almost as like a reaction to things in the music industry that you want to create uh, you know, different options to, or that it's like literally a re- reaction? Like, I don't want to be like that. Um, well, just to pick you off the Death Wish compliment, um, we joined Death Wish as like a, a distribution partner or whatever you want to call it, like two years ago. Um, and they've like taught us like so much. Like, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Like, two years ago, I, you know, still learning something new every day, but like, like Rich, Trey, like everyone there has just like, Caleb, like everyone just like helped us like so much to just like navigate the industry and just like learn how to operate as a label. And I think part of that was because we like, you know, join our distribution with them and our fulfillment with them and just like, yeah, like we had so many conversations about like getting a record out, but it was like, oh, you have to like do all this stuff first. That's not just like throwing it up on Spotify, like the next week or something um but anyway so thank you rich um i think <laughs> uh i think for us as a label you know kind of our whole thing is like we're a queer centered trans centered label um and you know the landscape's changing a lot now but when we first started doing that there really was no representation of queer and trans artists now there is more which is awesome but and not to say we were the first to do it because we weren't but that's like, you know, that was our whole thing was like, you know, releasing queer bands, trans bands, uh, bands with like people of color in it. Uh, and we can always be improving on all of those things. But um, that's kind of like why we started the label and like are still around is because to like promote this art um, when other people weren't. And Jay, how about you? With I, I was going uh, to. With, I wanted to go back to what you had just said when you ran a label too. Man, was just you know, there. It's not that you didn't have to do as much, but it was like different because there were so many different distributors, right? So, and there were so many different stores. I mean, just going back, I used to run a label with Jamie Josta from Haybreed, right? And I, I laugh at some of the numbers we used to press of bands, you know, like these small, like old school hardcore bands, and you could ship you know, 500 to NFYE somewhere. You could ship 200 to a Best Buy. You could buy a program. There was all these, you know, different things. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the other things, uh, so just to go to, to your question is what we're trying to do different here with, uh, you know, at Static Air and kind of with what I'm doing is with the bands I've just signed, I always get, um, I'm reverting the rights back. So I've, I've been paying for the recordings, but I'm holding them for a little while and then I give them back to the bands. One of the most important things um, I've learned over the years that I think that every band should own their master rights back. Um, you know, so I, I do try to, I'm a big champion of that. So I, I work with uh, giving the rights back, even if we don't make the money back, all those things in the recording, because I think it's really important at the end of the day, um, especially because I have a certain, you know, kind of path and vision for my label. Um, and I do see the bands on my label very much as like partners versus like, you know, artists on the label. It's very much like a very much a partnership in what we're doing. Um. I, I love, I love that. Love that. Like it's, it's real interesting around ownership. And like, you, I, I think you hear that more now with uh, major artists, especially in like the hip hop world. It's like own your stuff, mm-hmm. like make sure that you actually own things. Of course, in like punk and hardcore, <laughs> you know, t- we tend to like pay for stuff ourselves or if you're lucky, your record label uh, does it. But a lot of these things were just based on, on handshakes in right. a lot of ways where, you know, now we have like contracts and all that. 
And this brings me to something, and this is like one of my favorite things to reference. Do any of you remember the sick of it all born against argument on the radio? Of course. Okay. I like, I could listen to that like <laughs> probably once a week. I really, really love it. And when I was a kid, I remember hearing and being like two things. One, I was like, this is important. Barcodes, it's an important <laughs> conversation. But then I also was like, this is totally not important. <laughs> like, there's like real world, like big stuff. But it was like an intense thing. Like they were like arguing, yelling and like, you know, like we, we want to not be major label, but I think we can all look back and be like, huh, that's passionate, super smart people focusing on like maybe something that seemed important at the time, but maybe wasn't a great use of their energy and no, no detraction from anyone in that argument. Well, and, and just to go off that is maybe back in the day, dude, right? It was harder to get records. So you really, what were you trying to do? It was like, you were trying to align yourself with a larger distribution chain so more people could access your records, but that wasn't viewed like that. You know, it was more viewed like these guys are selling out when really it's like, dude, we're just trying to align and get our product out to more people. Now you can throw something up, you know, like to, to, um, you know, to Alex's point, you can throw something up online and have it out in a day. Right. Um, back in the day, man, you had to go and dig stuff in a band, you know, was sick of it all or whomever, you know, dude, you're a kid in the middle of America there. You're not getting a record like as easily as you are in the city. So it's funny how over time you can kind of see that viewpoint. And maybe that's not what they were thinking, but me as a person who views uh, listening to that, that's what I think of nowadays, you know? Yeah. that's, uh, it's, it's funny you bring that up too, about like, uh, um, back when I was younger, we would, your favorite band would sign to a major label and you label and you'd be like, Oh fuck. Like they just ruined the <laughs> band sucks now. You know, <laughs> like everyone thought that I don't know. It was just, mm-hmm. I was a stupid teenager or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, now it's just like, it's, it's kind of cool. Like you feel good when a band gets like some sort of recognition, not either, either a bigger indie or like a, a major label. You're like, wow, they're doing really good for themselves. Like good for them. You know, like that's how I feel. I don't know if people, other people do, but I'm not like, uh, I'm not, you know, I'm never going to listen to these, these people again. <laughs> you I mean, know, shit, like, watching, just... watching Code Orange's journey through Death Wish has been one of the most amazing things. I mean, I pre-ordered that first record. You know, uh, I'm a big Death Wish fan, so I, I buy all their stuff. And it's just crazy to see, you know, how huge they've become, you know, to Rich's point there. And that feels really good to us when that happens. It's We're sick. just like, wow, like, that's really cool that, you know, we were, be, we were able to be part of this thing that ended up being bigger than we could ever imagine. Well, and to and, spot uh, it so early on is really the most interesting thing because the band is already still so young and to see what they were capable of really early on. And then, Again, going back to what we talked about super early, it's like taking a chance and investing your, you know, when you're a label, whether you're huge or not, you're still, there's some money being invested into these things and to watch it, uh, you know, be very successful is, is awesome. Again, as a fan of the label and as a fan of that band, their journey has been so much fun to watch, dude. Yeah. People right. always think that it's like some sort of, uh, the, you know, we're, magic switch. Well, we're going <laughs> to, well, not even that. It's just that like, uh, oh, this band's leaving the label. They, something must've went wrong or whatever, <laughs> but it's really like validation when that happens, when they're able to go on to something oh, totally. like, bigger than what you can offer them at, you know? So it's just like, that's like, uh, you got like an A plus on the, on the report card. Totally. You know? <laughs> All right. But this, so this is like, I want to explore this cause it's an interesting thing. Like, cause I, I don't know if any of you are, ever felt this way when you were younger but when reunions started becoming more of a thing like i remember just being like the band's redoing a reunion and all they want is money like how dare they and then you're like well 
but there's a band I actually really want to see. And, and I like them. I, like, I remember distinctly thinking when Gorilla Biscuits came back, whatever rules that I had for other bands did not apply to Gorilla Biscuits. I was like, well, it's Gorilla Biscuits. Like, uh, they're, they're, they're good people, you know, da, da, da. And like, I started making all of these kind of concessions for bands that I actually wanted to see. And finally I had to just be like, oh, I'm just full of shit. Like, reunions are fine. Like making punk and making money in the punk and hardcore scene isn't a bad thing. It's kind of infantile thinking that I have that I'm placing all of these rules on people that, that I, for whatever reason I have, but it, it feels like for me, and it just could maybe be part of the generation that I'm in that punk and hardcore keeps kind of giving up ground a little bit about what we think is right or wrong around business practices. That's why I went to some of that early question, like really what's the difference between like major label business and punk and hardcore business because it seems like they're getting closer and closer and closer together. So Jay, when you said product, imagine if we'd said product to someone like 15 years ago, they'd be rolling their eyes. I mean, listen, there's, I'll say this, 15 years ago, I did say product and some of the same labels, I won't say who, that we know used to laugh at me and they have built companies, (laughs) you know, that do product. So, um, and I say that with so much peace and love, but it's like, look, dude, I, you know, I've been fortunate enough to work on some really big records and that exposed us early on to, you know, product or how things worked specifically, you know, whether it was the hate breed record on universal or, or those sworn enemy records on Electra, um, and understanding that, you know, how that whole thing worked, but you know, yeah, product, man, it's a, it's, it's a scary word. You know, I, I told, I totally get that. Well, and also like, I remember being on tour and people filling out, this is a long time ago, filling out those sound scan sheets for how many records they sold that day so they could submit Again, it. Again, so, something that I was laughed at when I used to tell our, our kids of our generation, I was like, look, this is important. You know, and, and I mean, there, you can go back to interviews of my old band and, and you know this, Aram, I would always say support the scan, right? You know, yeah. it's like, go out, buy your friend's records. It is important, you know, um, whether it's our little bubble or a bigger bubble, man, we all want to have those accomplishments. We want to show what we're doing. And I think, you know, like Rich and like what Alex saying, it, it, it validates what we're doing as a label, man. When I like, you know, again, when I see, even if it's a hundred pre-orders of something, I feel really good about that hundred because I'm like, shit, you know, we put together, we really tried and man, selling a hundred of anything is tough. Um, And and, uh, like, I want to go with this because what stands out to me is like, I remember being getting in the van after a show and like, you know, bands that we'd been with were doing this and we were all like, that was super weird that (laughs) so-and-so asked me like how many records we scanned and like they were filling out this thing and it seems like oh, so I used whatever. to tell I used to tell bands who were on victory at the time around when we used to tour to audit their labels because yeah. you know I mean I've always just again dude been a, a huge champion of understanding not only the recording process but just every process that your band is in you know I think is really under, important that you understand even if it's just a little bit um, right. understanding every process so now we're years later and a lot of that stuff, maybe it's not like sound scan like the same ways, but like a lot of those things actually are like kind of like valid parts of punk and hardcore and like not frowned upon or any of these things. And I find it interesting because like it's not a critique on my end. Of, I'm not as involved. I'm not involved in, in to the degree in the business of music to say what's right or wrong. But it does seem like more what I'd consider traditional label, bigger label business practices seem to now be becoming more and more commonplace in punk and hardcore. So I'll throw that out there and get your thoughts on it. How much of that do you guys think, if I could ask Rich and, and Alex and you, and you this, how much of that do you guys think is because the technology is more available to us as bands and labels? There's nothing I uh, felt worse about when um, 
I had to call the band the night after their show and ask them why they didn't submit their scans. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, I don't have to do that anymore because we have apps to do that. But um, mm. it used to be, uh, uh, I noticed you didn't find the Kinkos on the way to the next uh, show and, and fax your scan numbers over to us. Uh, but now there's like apps to do that. And actually it's leveled the playing field quite a bit because it's not like this... Um, uh, it's not this like uh, almost uh, intimidating like thing, yeah. That you have to do. I remember when I started doing it, um, I used to have to like put together this text file and upload it to an FTP server, and like I just like I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And um, now there's like apps to do that, and bands can like submit sound scans on their phone. It's not as like it's not just it's not a big deal. It's just you just say, hey, can you just do the scans after the show? And um, they'd be like, yeah, sure, and. To be honest, like I think we've had three or four number one like vinyl selling records in the U.S. for the first week. We've done that three or four times now, mm-hmm. and uh, we wouldn't be able to do that, you know, I don't know, fifteen years ago. We wouldn't even know what the hell to to do to get it on that chart. But <laughs> but now we have the tools to do that. So that's that's pretty cool. It is. But so let me ask you, like, how different is that from like a, a major label? And I'm not saying they're the same, but it, it, it sounds like we're using a lot of the same practices it, within I, our community that are kind of positioning us in that same world. Of course, you know, it's, they're still majors, but like really from a business pr- practice point of view, have we given up too much ground or is there, is there a line we don't cross? Like what, uh, that's where I'm, I'm interested in from all of you. I would say just one of the things about the tools um, coming from working in the major label system, man, was a lot of the things that we're using now are available to these artists, you know, a little bit early on. And then it just takes one person to er like adapt in our scene, you know, and then that's kind of the catalyst for that. Um, So, you know, again, there's so many tools, like Rich said, like, you know, um, you can build basically a Shopify website, use an app that reports your uh, vinyl sales to Billboard for you. You can sell your digital files and you're charting on the records and you're doing that all by yourself. Um, it's a little intimidating if you don't know what you're doing. But again, the, the landscape of what's available uh, to you as an artist is, uh, is pretty close to what was available. I mean, to me at, at Sony, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, personally, Alex. I don't feel held back at all anymore. I mean, I don't I feel like the I mean, yeah, money's always a thing. You're never going to have more money than right. <laughs> than right. the, the bigger labels. but like. Um, you know, they're not going to have the things that we have, um, to, you know, whatever those intangibles are, uh, they don't have those and they want those. I mean, they have the money. They, they want to, they, they want the culture. That's the, whole yeah, thing. yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's a better word. Uh, Alex, yeah. what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think exactly that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm too young to have experienced like the scanning manual scans, but you know, yeah, it's all like automated now, pretty much just like, you know through like, you know, distribution or like even Bandcamp sends numbers now. Um, But yeah, I think exactly that. It's like they want the culture, they want the community that they, that that we provide, that they just like, what's the culture of Sony? Money, (laughs) you know, like, and that's exactly it. Like, we don't have that money, obviously, but like, we have the communities, we have like, what I think is great about smaller labels is like, the development and like, you know, sure, like major labels will pick up a band that are like 16 and like, you know, skyrocket their career. But I think, you know, we catch bands a lot earlier, you know, early on than, than they do and like see them grow as like 
you know, kind of like you're saying with Code Orange, like it's funny, we actually did a seven inch for like their band previous to Code Orange. And then that's like when Code Orange was forming. It wasn't a punk, it wasn't like more like a folk band, but yeah, just like seeing them, like sure they're on a major label now, but um, I think, yeah, we had the community and like, you know, working with friends. Like I feel like probably on Death Wish and like every label, like with you too, Jay, like, we're working, we're dealing with our friends. We like talk to each other on like a pretty regular basis. You know, I text with my artists all the time. Sure. Like those bands have like their big, big management companies, but there's always like a middle person to like get to like the person with the answers. And I feel like, you know, at least with us, like, you know, either I have the answer or like the person next to me does. There's not, like a chain of command or anything. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, so if we're going, you know, cause I, I kind of want to stick with this, but I want to keep kind of keep going. Like, you know, we're born against like early time prophets where it's like, yeah, maybe the barcodes actually didn't matter, but maybe that was like one in many steps to like punk and hardcore giving up too much ground. But is there too much ground? And like, I, I don't know, like I, I, what I'm hearing from all of you is like, well, a lot of it has to do with like culture. Like we have like the indie scene in general has like a special culture and that can't be replicated by major labels, you know, especially like if you look at major labels, it's like, if I'm looking at something on a major, I'm not like, Ooh, what labels it on? You know, but if I'm looking at something on an indie, I'm always like, what labels it on? Who can I relate to? Does it have that like kind of brand integrity where I like typically like the other bands on that? Or like, if I'm taking a risk on something I'm going to buy, is there enough bands on that label? Where I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's good. I don't think of like Sony that way or any major label. It just doesn't like play in my head. So I think, I think that is definitely a clear distinction that punk and hardcore wouldn't give up, but let's stick with the idea of rethinking. I want to go to the social aspect of music and, and really the, the idea of community. Cause we keep coming back to like community and culture. So around the side of like rethinking things, a big conversation that has been happening explicitly has been around how power and power dynamics can allow really terrible things to happen within the music industry. So we're talking about like sexual assault, rape, um, people being um, groomed, all of those things. And I also see things like violence, bullying, toxic workplace culture. And it's because people want to be involved in something creative, something that touches their soul, or they love a band, or they want to be on a label. And then all of these nasty, terrible things happen in the background. It's been a bigger conversation in, in the past few years. But really, it's actually kind of been a conversation quietly going on in the background for a long time. But now it's like more and more and more out front. So from a rethinking perspective, I have a real interest at being actual label owners and biz or people who work at labels or own labels and have businesses. What are your thoughts on the responsibility of people in this community who run businesses to interact with this? Do we have responsibility to like really look at who we're working with and check their backgrounds and hold them accountable? Or is it like, Hey, I can't, I can't really govern every single person's actions. Like from your perspective, what do you think? It's the first conversation we have now, um, after we've heard something that we like, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, you find something you like, you present it to people. And then, and then the question is, Oh, hey, who are these people? You know, who, who do they associate with? Um, you know, what have they, you know, what does their past look like? You know, we have to ask these questions beforehand before we even go any further, because, you know, I don't think, I think we've all been in around uh, long enough where you've been to a show or you've been somewhere as great as our culture is there. We are the first ones to admit there's huge problems. 
and we've all been to a show or somewhere that like we didn't feel like I don't know, safe, I guess is the right word. But um, and uh, personally, I feel like that doesn't happen much anymore. Um, uh, going to shows, you know, maybe I'm just getting older and going to shows in clubs as opposed to random VFW halls like I used to. But um, yeah, we've all been there, and uh, it's it's a conversation that you have to have right away because once you put your stamp of approval on something, you're almost approving that culture that comes along with any artist. Um, so, yeah, it's it's. I'm not going to say that we um, didn't have these conversations before, but I think they're much earlier in the process than they used to be. And yeah, there's bands that we love, but we just there's something about it that we don't want to be associated with. Um, it's unfortunate, but that's just the way it is. Yeah, I think absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, it's one of the first things we think about too. Um, and like, I do I do a lot of vetting of our bands. Like, I'll try and find a mutual friend and like ask them if they know anything about them or have like heard anything about them. You know, sometimes it's like kind of embarrassing to like text someone out of the blue being like, so what's the deal with this person? Um, not embarrassing, just like, it sucks to have to do that, but you just have to. Yeah. yeah. And like, even, even like in our contracts now, it, we have like a whole clause about like um, behavior and like, if you, are like accused of something like we can drop you with like no questions asked kind of um i think that's important too because like you know there are a lot of legal battles that go along with it like you know if a band is accused of something there might be like a contractual like tie that the label can't disassociate from them so i think it's important to like draw those boundaries as well like like yes we approved you before but we didn't know these things so now we have to end this um and you don't want to get sued for that um but yeah, I think it's it's a really important conversation. And now, like, I, I I really like what you said earlier, where you're like it's embarrassing, and then you're like, well, I don't know if it's embarrassing because it, it it's an it's like a struggle. Like I don't know how I feel about this. Like it's awkward to do it, but I'm actually right to do it. But it still feels weird. Right. And Alex brought up a good point where it's like you're not just representing your label, but you're re representing the artists on your label as well when you sign another artist. So um, we don't have like HR departments, you know what I mean? And like the music, especially labels have, have this weird like structure where the bands don't work for you, but you're all working together. So, mm. but you don't have like this like HR person going over and uh, uh, policing everything. So you're, you literally have to do that yourself. And everyone is doing that internally, not just the labels but the artists as well where they're saying like if they don't agree with something that their label is doing that's a huge problem you know so mm. you have to make sure that not only for yourself but for the other artists that you represent you're representing so much inside the culture at that point <laughs> yeah i mean same thing with uh like alex and rich i mean it just you know i try to stay within my uh circle and if most of the time something will come in whether it's even on a client end, man, just outside of a label thing too. Uh, I've turned down new, tons of projects I could have worked on, man, because I just didn't align with what that artist was doing or what it was. And listen, man, some of these paydays and budgets would have been great. But at the end of the day, man, I'm, I'm a dude who's quit a job over stuff like that. So, um, you know, I'm very much stick to my guns again, whether it's, you know, master rights or sticking up for what you believe in, man. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm with Alex and Rich, man. We really 
try to work just in super small circle, man, whether it's, you know, even the clients I take on. Mm. All right. So like going, following this thinking, all right, if we're talking about like representation and we're talking about creating like a more inclusive music scene, that's more representative of, a, of, of the greater population of people who actually make up a, a population. You know, we've got, we're thinking about people who maybe have been, uh, who are part of groups who have been traditionally been marginalized or are still marginalized. How do we walk that line of bringing voices forward without also kind of like using that as like a marketing point? You know, like how do we, how do we create proper representation without being, without exploiting um, the journey that people have had? Yeah, that's a really interesting thing. Like I think about this every day, like what the line between like tokenism and like actual like love and support of an artist that you're like, at the end of the day, like, you know, hopefully profiting off of all your artists, but like, you know, yeah, it's a really tough thing to think about. And I think a lot of it comes down to intention. And, you know, all of us, I feel like, especially like, you know, nowadays are like, all thinking about this more and more. Um, and I think, I think it's tough to, you know, we try and work with like a wide variety of people. Um, and yeah, it's a struggle to not feel like yeah, it's it's a struggle to like know like what your own intentions are sometimes. Like I mean, I know what my intentions are, but I'm just like, you know, it's a lot of like relearning and learning again like how to operate this way. And like well, we, I feel like we've always kind of operated this way, but like really hone in on like what our intentions are. Um and I think for us our intentions are to you know, represent people who are often like less represented. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I really appreciate you bringing up the term tokenism and you said it eloquently. I was, I was struggling with the language around it. Like, okay, let's break it down to like your local punk show, right? It's like five bands, everyone in that band all looks the same. Like they're all dudes, they're all white. You know, it's like, oh, that doesn't, that's not a good look. We got to throw on a band that has like maybe some people in color there and that has like maybe a female fronted or, you know, like a beer that a band that comes from like the LGBTQ community. And I, a while ago, like, I don't know, sometime like last year, some festival posted their lineup and literally someone was like, here are your token bands on your, on your label. It's like, here's your, I think they broke it down almost math, almost mathematically. It's like, oh, five bands that everyone looks the same. We got to have for every five bands like that, we have to have one band that's kind of our token band. And I like, was like, oh God, <laughs> so, so harsh, but it's true. And it's really like, how do we move past of like, Hey, like, uh, yeah, we should probably do this to like, oh no, like this is like an absolute, like this is what we do. And we're focusing both on representation and quality and all those things. Like, how do we get there? Well, I mean, I once you, you know, you know, first and foremost, you know, music is the, the, the first thing that gets you interested in a band and are they good mm -hmm. or not? Okay. They're good. Great. So, so there's, there's a hundred bands that write great music every day. Um, once you get there, uh, what's interesting about them? Because, you know, it's, it, it, you know, I don't want to sound like, you know, uh, going to the marketing side of things, but yeah, it's something you think about, you know, you, you just like, so what's interesting about the band? Like what makes them different from, from the bands that we've been putting out, you know, like, um, and you go from there, uh, it's just, it's just like doing the same thing is boring, you know, mm -hmm. Do, like it, it doesn't it doesn't move the needle forward. We've always been about doing, uh, you know, punk, hardcore. We're doing the, uh, 
uh, trying to think of the right word, the uh, most interesting and um, we're seeing things before uh, the uh, mainstream picks it up. So like, I think just representation at that point is just like, yeah, these are the things that we should be doing. Like, why aren't we? And why, why, why is this a boys club? Like, why, you know, like, why is that? That doesn't have to be like that. It's just, why don't we just make things more interesting for everyone? And once you do that, I mean, then it's just a natural progression. Hopefully that's when you have more different kinds of people on uh, festivals and tours and, and working together and uh, more people uh, working at in industry jobs, you know, and, and more people represented across the board. I mean, that's just, again, uh, it's just, it's, it's a cooler thing to be doing. And that's what we do. You know, we should be doing the cool thing, right? Mm-hmm. What do you think, Jay? Of course, man, we should always do the right thing. I think um, it goes back to kind of what I was saying in the beginning of the show, where it's like, you try to align yourself with the people that have the same expectations, the same outlook that you do and you just kind of hope for the best so i'll say this we have we have a band uh on static air called husbandry shout out to them it's a you know woman of color sings very i mean totally like you know made up you know varied members um but you know i don't for me even on a marketing we didn't even play into that dude because it was just like i let the band handle that i'm not a marketing expert i don't claim to be dude i'm not going to hire somebody to come in you know again i've seen that happen on on other projects that's not what I started this label about. Um, so for me, man, I think a lot of times, dude, you know, um, in a weird way, I'm just in my own little bubble and don't even think about things like that because I'm just so focused on like, hey, what do you want to do? What's your vision? What's the path? And then I just, again, facilitate where I can to make sure that that goes the way it's supposed to. Um, and, you know, like I said, most of the time I'm aligning myself with people who have the same value and vision as a project. So it's been Luckily, it's always worked out, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I want to double down on this question, though. It's a tough, it's a really tough question, and I'm not expecting any of you to have answers. Like, I, I, I don't want to put you in the position where you have to. But, you know, Jay, you talked about, like, hey, you know, I, I kind of want the band to direct how they want us to position them. Great. And then, Alex, you talked about, like, hey, no matter what we do, we got to start with the right intentions, and I, I really love that. And then, um, Rich, you talked about, hey, like, let's find out what's interesting about them and talk about them. And that, that could be about like representation or uh, the um, things about their identity. But this kind of like general talking, like how do we make this kind of like real deal, like social change that's within an industry? Cause like, I, I can't speak to every industry, but again, I, you know, I can go to like a punk show. Well, when they happen again and be like, damn, like this is like really like predominantly like white male middle-class people. And that's not like, I don't want to say that's wrong and it shouldn't exist, but like, there's been a lot of talk for a long time about how we create representation. We create a space that's like, has that like welcoming vibe. But at the end of the day, you just end up putting out the bands that you put out. So like, how do we create it? But also if we, if it is something that we're going to talk about, how do we not become, how do we not exploit someone's story or identity as a sales point? Like, how do we not exploit a community to sell a record? And I know that's a very complex question. So I think just for me on that, and I don't know if I'm spoiled from living in like Connecticut and going to shows in New York and Boston and stuff, but that was, again, man, it was never a focus. Even when I had the labels before, um, you know, it was just never focused. So in today's environment, I probably, maybe I should be thinking of that or being more aware. But again, I think that's where I really just depend on aligning myself with 
you know, people and band members that have the, the same values I do, making sure it's the same outlook. Um, again, I might be spoiled because in Connecticut growing up, dude, it was, we saw a varied, all, all kinds of pe people came to shows, man. It was, you know, people of color, women, um, you know, uh, every, it was everything, man. It was, it wasn't so, uh, it wasn't always just a dominant white male thing, you know? Um, so I don't know if that spoiled us or me in kind of outlook how I have it now. Um, and that maybe makes me dependent. This is a tough question to answer, but that I think just for me, why it's never been on my forefront of my mind is because every show I've ever gone to, man, it's always been such a varied place. More so than the town I grew up in and the high school I went to where there was, you know, like two or three African-American kids, the whole high school. Yeah. You know, so it was very different. Alex Rich? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I, I have like this like positive outlook of, of like, well, it's a generational thing. The next generation will be better. It will be better next time. It will be better in 10 years. It will be better in 15 years, whatever. And I do think that. I think, I think um, you know, we, we will progress and it will be better. But I think your question is like, what do we do now? Like, what do we do in the next year? What do we do in the next, you know? And that's, Aram, I don't have an answer for that. That's so difficult to, I don't have a perfect, and especially just being a white guy in the music industry. I don't, I can't, I can't tell you. I don't know. But yeah, we have to do our best really to make sure that we are um, making sure we're giving people the same opportunities, you know, you know, past, you know, looking at gender or race or uh, any of that. Um, and we have to be really truthful about that. And, um, and uh, yeah, and sometimes it, it's like, uh, it, it's like when you're, you know, when you're applying for a job, people have these, you know, uh, uh, quotas that they need to, to, to reach um, internally. And I'm not saying that we have that. That's not a thing at all. But I mean, you have to think twice and think more and go deeper every time you work with an artist or a band more so than it's 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 it's, it's easy to say that like oh it's just about the music the music's the most important thing yeah it's not like let's be honest with 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 everyone it's not just about the music it's much more than that um and we really need to think about that yeah and you know I, I, rich I, I first of all i appreciate you answer how you answer that question because it is hard and i could see you like really thinking what you were saying like the people listening to this you're not going to see it like rich you literally looked as if you were trying to solve like a rubik's cube like you're like ah oh, it's so hard this is hard uh corporations at all different kinds of corporations struggle with it like my own company that i built we, this is something we struggle with like we we think about a lot there's no easy answer, but we can't hide from it. And we can't speak in generalities. It's so hard and scary, like scary, scary, because we all want to do the right thing, but we don't know how to do it. So a lot of people, myself included, can just kind of be like, oh, we, we want to do the right thing. It's like, well, yeah, but we've been wanting to do the right thing for a long time. What are we actually doing? And no one here is expected to have the answers. I just, I really wanted to make sure that like, at, since we touched on it, I didn't want us to like only rest in generalities. Alex, let's uh, throw it over to you. Yeah, I think one thing that's important to know about, you know, ourselves, like, you know, like as white people too, like most importantly, like, you know, we have to like come to terms with the fact that like we're going to make mistakes. We're going to do the wrong thing when it comes to these topics, like a lot, especially when we're trying to like challenge ourselves and like better ourselves. Like we can't expect to like 
you know, be perfect, you know, in, in any aspect of life, but especially when talking about this, like, we're gonna fuck up, we're gonna, like, have to, like, have someone, you know, tell us that we did something wrong, or, like, that's part of, like, learning, and I think that's part of growing, and I think, like, you know, the more we talk about this, um, and the more we read about it, learn about it, you know, the better, hopefully the better it will be, you know, like, and, like, more comfortable we'll be with it. Um, and I think for us, like, we are, like, a queer trans label, like, that's what we are, like, if anything, like, a white cis dude is, like, one, like, one to ten, you know, on our label, like, so in, in that regard, like, we have, and I have no problem with that, because, you know, I'm a queer person, I'm a non-binary person, like, I'll say new queer band on our label, like, I have no issue with that, like, you know, and, like, that's often how people connect with them, you know, at least for our label. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, like another queer band on the label. Oh, there's a trans femme person. Oh, there's a trans mask person. Like, sick. Like, I can relate to them. And I think, like, that's great. Like, that's how you build community, like, with people, like, re- relating to each other. Um, but, yeah, no, it's it's really hard. Um, I don't, yeah, I mean, like, it's, yeah, I don't have an answer. But, like, it's something we think about every day and are still, like, learning something new every day about it. And Alex, I want to just hit on something you said there. It's like, you know, I, I've heard a lot in my work in the corporate world where people are like, yeah, I, I just, I didn't feel like there was a place for me because nobody looked like me in that place. And then, then there was a person and not only was there a person, they were in a leadership position or they were speaking or they, they wrote a book or they did a thing. So there's real power in identifying like, you know, Alex, as you said, like, Hey, you know, new, new queer band, right? Like, there's someone out there looking for that flag for like, be like, Oh, there it is. Okay. That's where I can go. You know, I really want to double and triple down. Like it, it's important to raise those flags and be like, Hey, this group is being, is, is representing themselves. They've got a place here. And if, and if you identify with that, you, this is your place too. That is how you build community. It's an interesting thing. Cause we're both in the, we're all in the space of like creating community and selling things. Right. So it's like, it's got this kind of like weird squishiness that I always like to like get into and talk about. Um, anything else on that before I hit our, hit us with our last couple of questions, anything that anyone wants to round up on, on that topic? Yeah, I think I'm just, just one last thing. I think, um, Aram it's, it's the fact that I think any of us had a difficult, um, you know, difficult time answering the question just proves the fact that we need to think about it more. And, uh, you know, I think we all have, but have we, like, have we gone deep enough? You know, like sometimes you're just like, yeah, I know my stance on these things. And, but do you, you know, like, do you not really know, uh, what you're trying? Like, is there an actual, like, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm all about like, uh, tasks and, uh, production and projects and things like that. It's like, is there a task list? Do we have a, do we have a set of things that we're trying to do right now? I don't think there is, to be honest. Uh, I mean, unless someone else has one. But um, yeah, it's something got to think about more. And it, it actually feels good, like coming from Alex, we're just saying, yeah, we don't know the answers and it's okay too. But it's, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that you're talking about it on a music industry podcast, you know, maybe mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a good thing. Yeah. Anyone else before we hit the last two questions? All right. So the last two questions, we're going to have, uh, have some fun with it. So the first question is three records that change your life. Any genre, any time frame, three records that change your life. Anyone could go first. Three records. Hold on. I got to write this down. 
<laughs> there's a system. There's a format we follow. Yes, yes, there is. Um, hmm. You're gonna hear some embarrassing okay. ones, but I'm gonna I'm writing them down right now. Okay. Okay, I've got my three. I wrote mine down. I'll All go. All right. Off. All right, Jay, I, let's do it. Do you guys, uh, Alex, Rich, do you mind if I go first? Then? Go, go. Oh, go for it. Okay, I'm going to go in kind of like a chronological order here. So I'm going to start with super obscure, but the La Bamba soundtrack. So <laughs> I'm going to tell you why, though. So fourth grade, I watched La Bamba a hundred times. Till, till this day, I could probably recite that movie to you. It's one of my favorites. Uh-huh. Um, and the soundtrack, my grandmother bought it. I did a La Bamba in a school talent show. So just it has a super, like, just sp- very specific memory um, Funnily enough, too, is that that movie is also like music based that, you know, it's about him getting signed and all that stuff. So we wonder if like if that kind of even led me on my path subconsciously. So I don't know. Uh, The other one would be Skid Row Mm self-titled. So that was the first record that I remember really wanting like on my own um, and just like falling in love with it and just knowing it so much played the whole cassette out. Um, And then I got to, of course, end it with Hatebreed Satisfaction is the Death of Desire because You know, worked with the band, got to know them a lot on that record. It sent me on my crazy life path. So I got I to shout out that record. Is, uh, those are the right. three. I love it. Great, great spread, man. Really good. <laughs> All right. Uh, Alex, you ready? Yeah, I think I am. Okay, so the first CD I ever remember getting for Hanukkah when I was, I don't know how old, was Rancid uh, and Out Come the Wolves. Awesome. Um, and that was like one of the first like punk records I ever really fell in love with um maybe i was like 14 i don't i don't remember um the next one is propaganda uh less talk more rock mm. and that was like when i was really getting into like politics and like you know veganism and you know all of that so that was like a, a fundamental record for me um and then the next one is 15 uh choice of a new generation uh i was like a huge jeff ott fan when i was younger so that was like you know, really topical record that was really important to me. Also, like, you know, political, like, very fundamental record for me. Um, And, yeah, those are my three. (laughs) I I haven't listened to either one of, none of those records, like, in years, but those are, like, definitely, like, yeah, three life-changing records for me. That Rancid record is so good, Alex. I know. I So fucking good. Well, I, I, you know, since you brought up Jeff Ott, uh, I remember he, he did some, acoustic thing where he had a song called straight edge doesn't work because he was like in in recovery and was like don't try and be straight edge if you're if you're trying to do recovery like do recovery and of course like young me was like how dare you <laughs> of course like adult me is like yeah yeah, yeah you're right <laughs> well well done that's um, funny okay uh rich all right so i gotta i'm copying jay but i had this record on my list before he said it so i'm just saying all right uh <laughs> Uh, yeah, hate-breed satisfaction is the death of desire. Uh, so I don't remember exactly what comp this was, but this was like my transfer from like new metal to uh, you know, kind of like hardcore. Um, so I think we all had our different paths to get there at some point to get into punk and hardcore. But um, yeah, I it was on. I think it was like a 
it was some comp. It, it might have been like Tattoo the Earth. Remember that festival? That was definitely ta- they were definitely on that comp. So okay, it was one of the. It was either that or like an Oz. Fe- I forget what it was. I was you know. It would have been either one of those. But yeah. Tattoo the Earth. The Tattoo the Earth is probably it because it was around the Victory Records time. So yeah, I I I heard that. I heard that's. I heard one of the songs on there. I bought the CD at Newberry Comics, and um, I I remember listen. This was like the first time I felt music. I know it sounds weird to say. But I, uh, it's the first time it like brought out an emotion in me and it wasn't like a sad or whatever, but I was just like, wow, this fucking like means something like this is like, it it just like, I felt it for the first time. And, uh, like that record was, was huge. And that's like got me into everything. Um, and I basically wore a hate breed shirt every day to high school. So I I still have it. I'll, I should have wore it today, but, um, neutral milk hotel, uh, in the airplane over the sea that, um, I kind of got into that in my 20s, kind of like later in my life. I didn't really discover it until then. But that really like set me off on like kind of finding more indie music. I was always listening to like metal and punk and hardcore. I thought like it wasn't, you know, I was too hard for all that other stuff. Uh, (laughs) It definitely opened me up to uh, more of my uh, softer side and indie side. And uh, that was huge. Just like it's. It's a perfect record. It and it, mm. it's just it's crazy how many I know I look in it's crazy how many records that still sells all of the time. It's just like probably one of the biggest indie records ever. And then just on like a personal note, um Deaf Heaven Sunbather is uh mm. it's a record that I worked on. It was like you know and it was like the first one that like received I would say commercial success. Um and it just felt like really good to be working on an album that like received that sort of success. Um, it's just a, it's just a great record, just cool artwork, great sound, like so unique for the time. Um, and you see, you just saw like a ton of bands after that be influenced by that type of music. So just on a personal note, that was really cool for me. We just right. ordered the repress for the store. So, yeah. uh, if you haven't heard it, you should get it on death wish. Cause there's a repress of it. Mm, right on. Okay. Uh, last question for everyone. So we're thinking about this podcast has people that are from just a straight up business world. And then you've got your average listener, and then you've got people from punk and hardcore. So if we're talking about rethinking this industry, um, things that have changed, things that are changing now, or things that, that need to be changed, any last thoughts from you, uh, any message that you want to send to, to the listeners about rethinking the music industry? So I'm, I think I said this to someone recently where I was just like, um, yeah, the music industry right now is the Wild West. You can do whatever you want. And I'm telling you that you can do whatever you want. Now, there has to be structure to what you do, but you can do whatever you want. Um, and I think that's really cool and fun to play with. It's not all about street dates and singles anymore. It's um, the most important thing you can do with the release right now is find what's cool about it and go for it. And what works for you is what is probably the best thing that you should be doing. Um, work with the right people. Um, and yeah, I really think it's a, it's a revitalization what's going on right now. Um, you know, people are at home, they're listening to more music. They're buying tons of vinyl, vinyl scanned more copies than ever this year. I think since like the nineties, I might be making that up, but it was a lot. So, uh, it's just great. It's a great time to be in music, to be honest. Uh, it's fun. It's really fun right now. We don't have to be doing the things that we were supposed to be doing you know, ten for the past ten years, we can do whatever we want, um, mm. and that's that's fun. Awesome, great, uh, Alex or Jay. 
Yeah, I, I agree with Rich. I think like, you know, kind of like take it and go with it. Like try new things, like do something you've never wanted to do and just like restructure it yourself in a way, you know? Um, yeah, because there are no rules. There, I mean, obviously like, yeah, have structure, but like, you know, so many things are like up in the air right now. Like just play with it and like see what happens. Mm, awesome. Jay. Yeah, definitely agree with Alex and Rich. That's just one of the most exciting times. Um, again, I've been lucky to work on uh, very small projects and very large projects, and having the same tools available to both sized bands is amazing. So I think one of these things uh, that I will just say to the listeners is like, it may sound intimidating, all the things that we're talking about, but if you just take a couple minutes, read about it, you know, sign up with, uh, not everyone is going to be fortunate enough to, to work with, uh, you know, a large distributor like a Deathwish or something. So enable yourself to learn about DistroKid, TuneCore, some of these other smaller aggregates, you know, find out what works for you, um, learn about music rights, music neighboring rights, publishing, all of those good things, man. I would say education is key um, to people who are trying to rethink because if you, maybe rethinking comes from people who come outside and are trying to like learn it and they can put a spin on it. And maybe that's really what we need. So it'd be interesting to, uh, to see that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. As we're closing off, uh, here are three people uh, and the the businesses that they run that I believe are really creating change and have created change and will go on to create change. And the idea here is that you don't need to be in power. You don't have to have millions of dollars behind you to create change. A person with a guitar and something to say can change the world. And people around them who support them, who get them in recording studios, who give them a platform, who distribute them, who sell it in their record store, those people are part of that change. Any industry starts somewhere, and that somewhere is with people. And if we ever let go of the idea that people have the power to really direct change, then we're giving ourselves up to the system. So whether it's small-scale change in your local community or if it's on a large-scale change or even if it's an industry level, it does start with you. So Alex, Jay, and uh, Rich, thank you so much for joining us today. This is a great, great conversation, and everyone will see you in the outro. Dave, drop the beat. That was such a cool conversation. A huge thank you to Alex, Jay, and Rich. Um, I asked some tough ones on there, and I really appreciate the thought and care that you uh, you gave to those questions and really how respectful you were with each other as well. There's a lot we could talk about in regards to rethinking the music industry. And really, like any creative pursuit that you know ends up being in a space where there's an industry around it, it gets a little messy. You know, one of the best pieces of advice I ever heard from someone was, don't let your art become your living. Because then you have to start making decisions on what's going to make you money instead of what makes you happy. And here's three people who I think have really struck a great balance with that. So thanks everyone for joining us. And as we wrap up, I just want to remind you of a couple things. First, creation is the absolute essential for human beings. It's part of our, just who we are, our soul. And like, you know, whether you believe in some religious power or not, I think we can all say there's something inside of us that requires that nourishment of creativity. Creativity for some people is painting. For other people, it's, you know, music. There can be all sorts of things. Whatever it is, the way that you keep that healthy is by engaging with it and engaging within the community 
to make sure that we're always evolving our pursuit to the industry that comes around it. So get involved. Be a part of the conversation rather than just sitting on the sidelines and saying, hey, this sucks. The other thing I want to say is like when it comes down to creativity, there's always going to be people that come in and try and capitalize on it. But that doesn't mean that they're bad people. In fact, there can be some really cool things from people who aren't necessarily creators themselves that help create a pathway to artists getting their things out there. But it does require the artist's input. So again, don't sit on the sidelines. Raise your voice. So as we're closing off, I want to give a shout out to the people that make this podcast possible. Uh, The first is we're produced by Patrick McKechnie and we're edited by Dave Larson. And of course, our design is done by Tammy Levy. I love my team. I'm so lucky to work with these great people. So thanks everyone for being involved. And we will see you next time on One Step Beyond. One step beyond.